everybody, this is Not Safe for Wonks. I'm Kennedy. Leia Rose. We've also got Dre here today. Yeah, my name's Dre. You might remember Dre as our as our kind of uh, one of our people who works behind the scenes a lot to help make this happen. And uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna try and take it slow today. We're we're, we're just gonna have some fun. We're just gonna shoot some shit. We just thought it would be fun to have a special guest today. Easy is a Yang Gang mod, the Yang Gang Mead World. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Oh yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. I had a I had a fun time prepping for this too. Ooh, you prepped for it? Tell us about that. Well, I, I listened to some episodes. Oh, yeah. I'm not a big podcast person and don't really see mm-hmm. myself as like a media personality, but... We, we don't either. <laughs> I, I figured I'd do you guys some justice. Well, thank you for listening. Did you enjoy the experience of researching our podcast? Yeah, I, I absolutely enjoyed uh, listening to the podcast. I think you guys are smart. I think you guys are funny. Uh, I think you guys are well-informed. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you. Thank you. I think you guys bring like a really nuanced perception and, and kind of uh, perspective mm-hmm. on kind of, like everyday events. Well, thank you very much. That means a lot. So it's great to have you here. Let's just kind of jump in by talking just a little bit about I'm also involved in the world of memes for a campaign. I'm I'm in the Marianne world. Orb gang. Yeah. At, you know, Orb <laughs> gang and Yang gang. We have a lot of alliance, I feel like, in general. Orb gang, Yang gang coalition. Yeah. And so it seemed kind of natural to have you on. And also just to kind of talk to you a little bit about what kind of motivated you to want to put some of your personal time into the Yang world. Yeah. I'd have to say it, it came from, I mean, the first time I was kind of introduced to Yang was kind of just scrolling through my YouTube feed and my recommended list. Saw like a, a David Pakman interview with him, saw that thumbnail and the title was kind of about universe basic income. And uh, I thought it was stupid as shit. <laughs> first time <laughs> I, I saw it and kind of just ignored it for like a week and then uh, decided after like when I was bored one weekend to kind of look it up. This was in like early February. Okay. Watched the the interview and found the guy to be very practical, very uh, solutions oriented, like really understood uh, statistics and and really wanted to just like solve problems. And the fact that he had the mechanics of his of his proposal worked out really, really shocked me. Mm. But um, I'd say what really kind of got me into it was kind of like the realization of thinking about who were the kind of like breakout stars from the 2016 election. Bernie and, and mm. Trump, right? And what was the commonality between their, their messaging? It was essentially addressing economic anxiety, right? And you look at Bernie's messaging and uh, his persuasive messaging is takes an ethos uh, perspective. Donald Trump takes uh, a pathos perspective with focusing on anger and fear. And Andrew Yang has like a, a really nuanced perspective of taking on his means of persuading people by taking an ethos and a, a, like a hyper practical standpoint. And uh, that was really what drew me. That's really interesting. Like definitely nobody on this program has Yang as our first choice, but yeah. I would mm-hmm. definitely say that he definitely appeals to me a certain extent, not necessarily so much because I like all of his policy ideas personally, but because I see him as somebody who comes across as very authentic and like he's actually listening to the public. Yeah. I will be the first one to to say that, or the second one, (laughs) to say that I don't agree with all of his policies. Like, I don't necessarily agree with uh, lowering the voting age to 16. I don't necessarily agree with allowing people to vote via mobile phone and utilizing and integrating 
blockchain technology into voting. I don't necessarily agree with that. But the thing is, I agree with his assessment of the problems and his goals of fixing those problems. And I think he has somewhat of a nuanced perspective on a number of, of issues. Hmm. Uh, and w- we can return to Yang in short order. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. Like, what are your, what are your like second and third choices when it comes to if Yang fails to pan out? Well, who are you looking towards next? I'd have to say, uh, no particular order, really. Bernie, Tulsi, or Marianne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand those choices. Yeah, pretty, pretty fucking sick of the uh, establishment candidates. Oh, you'll, you'll, you'll get no disagreement there. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. I think we're, it's interesting. We're kind of starting to build a little bit of a, a unexpected coalition of allies. That's yeah, it's orbs, orb gang. You know, the Marianne people. We got Yang, Tulsi, and Bernie. Like I hear those names come up together a lot now. Yeah, it is very interesting. I think they mm-hmm. are the candidates that are really proposing policies that will really produce tangible benefits to the majority of Americans. It's interesting, though, because they definitely speak to different types of sort of disaffection or political alienation to some extent. But yeah. there are core elements that are the same enough that it's attracting some of the same kinds of people and mm-hmm. that we're forming these alliances. Uh, and I think these political alliances are really important. Absolutely. So what makes Yang the number one out of all of those choices for you? I'd have to say just like um, I kind of alluded to him not really understanding blockchain technology or like having a bulletproof understanding of, of cybersecurity when I briefly mentioned that I don't agree with his opinion of enabling mobile voting and blockchain voting mm-hmm. tracking or mm-hmm. collection of, of voting information. But uh, it is very much so that I think that he is the candidate with the best base of knowledge to bring America into the 21st century, like really mm. bring it into the 21st century. Like we're, we're going in, into the, the second decade. Yeah, that's a thing I've always noticed with Yang. He has uh, always been that candidate who's based a lot of his uh, presentation off of uh, the technological advancement that's coming in the near future. Uh, one of his main focuses is job automation, how we're going to recover from the amount of loss that will come from that. Like you said, he talked about a lot of tech-related stuff. He was considering mobile voting, although this weird stuff of the blockchain, which you said he doesn't really quite understand. So I'm going to trust you on that. But I feel like he really is that person who's trying to go for the tech edge out of everybody else. And it's kind of his thing, like how Inslee's thing is climate change. And I really like that. It makes him stand out and makes him more dignified for everybody else than he already was by being an anti-establishment candidate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say personally, like I, I didn't really think Inslee differentiated himself by focusing on climate change. Um, but I, I, I very much appreciated the fact that he was focusing on it. Like it is an existential threat to humanity. Like the, the fact that we're, it, we're still like arguing over <laughs> whether or not it's, mm-hmm. it, it is, it's a, an issue is, is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But to kind of build off of uh, what I was talking about earlier, the issues that will kind of precipitate from from technological advancements are I think are very much in the in the forefront of people's like awareness. If you look at like the news cycle with like Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and if you go on Netflix like The Great Hack, that, that was a great documentary. You have the Equifax data breach and again on Netflix you have like Black Mirror. Uh, it's seemingly like a daily issue of, of privacy breaches at at large companies it's ridiculous and i think more and more people are waking up to the fact that we need to have leadership that is aware
aware of the issues that will come from technological advancements. And if you look at like the cybersecurity uh, liaison in the current administration, Rudy Giuliani, like he doesn't understand cybersecurity. No. Like, mm-hmm. There's a really funny article about him like thinking someone hacked into his Twitter account because he didn't have to have like the spacing correct on one of his paragraphs. It was ridiculous. I will actually say, you know, that's actually one of the things I've, I had noticed already that Marianne and Yang had in common as candidates is yeah. they both are calling for a return to experts in some of these key positions because the reality is that a lot of them are, are just filled by nepotism and cronyism and that kind of stuff. It's yeah. not really filled by any kind of actual quality qualification necessarily a lot of the time so that's that's something that i noticed that they had had in common that was something that did speak to me about yang even if again he's not necessarily my first choice Mm -hmm. i do appreciate the idea that he's he's also talking about let's get professional scientists into these positions and you know people who understand these things really crucial i think Mm -hmm. i have a tangent to go off of but i don't Uh, sure no it's fine we don't have to focus Anything. You can you can go anywhere you want. There's no roads here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think society is experiencing like a, a widespread but very fragmented refusal of of understanding experts, and it's like just people. I think that are kind of just have low self esteem and I want to feel special. It's like conspiracy theorists, people that are flat earthers, people that are anti-vaxxers. If I can kind of give my take, and it's been given before by about sort of conspiracy theorists, is that the issue at the root of that is that there is something very demonstrably wrong with current society. Right. And that things are not what they should be. And conspiracy theorists notice that and they think, is is everybody crazy? This isn't normal. Why is this happening? Yeah. And then they, they, they end up digging down the wrong paths and the crucial fault is implicating people and not systems you know um capitalism isn't wrong it's crony capitalism all of these things and you you end up with this idea that there's this kind of like a cabal controlling information be it like nasa controls the information about flat earth or whatever have you but i wouldn't say that like because you you can be tempted to say that there is a surgence of anti-intellectualism within the public but i think that it's more of a problem of the real causes and effects of the systems that we have in place today aren't being articulated well enough. So people are going and investing themselves into conspiracies that don't implicate the systems because as a culture, we have been trained to treat capitalist democracy in the current form. We have it as the system. You know, it's the Zizek quote, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Yeah, I feel like there's this trend that, well, it's not really a trend. It's been a thing that's been going on for a while Mm -hmm. now. But there's a broad feeling of distrust towards institutional knowledge, and that conflicts with people who have a lot of sincere sincere faith towards that institutional knowledge and those institutional services. And whenever they try to argue with those people who are scared, distrustful, or skeptical, they don't understand where those feelings are coming from in the first place. And that comes from the fact that they're right to have skepticism over something that's proper and they're not really, you know, dedicated to the most virtuous thing. And like, like, like it's what I said, you can't really convince anti-vax people that vaccinations are harmless by just throwing out a bunch of scientific data. It's the fact that they don't trust the data in the first place. Yeah, and I think this sort of gets at my like core kind of problem with Yang in that, yeah, it's all well and good that you have statistics and data to back up your arguments, but there are a lot of people that haven't gotten into these positions through data. They've gotten into these positions through, you know, kind of feelings and instincts. 
And you yeah. need you need a more kind of emotional feelings instinct cell to get them out of that, which is you know why I, I, I tend towards Marianne. Yeah, that's why I said you can't really rally people around the fighting call with data. You can't really do that. <laughs> data is not something that's aesthetically yeah. pleasing or inspirational. It's also not infallible. Like you can you can skew data, and you can yeah quite easily pick and choose what you, what you to understand from that data. Yeah. I would say I think Yang is kind of seeking an emotional center for his campaign and like a more solid kind of overall platform. But I don't know that I've necessarily seen enough to give me total faith in him yet. If he has one, it hasn't been well articulated enough. But easy, I'd like to hear you kind of weigh in on that where you think he's at in that position like do you think his platform is there or do you think he still kind of needs to articulate a full vision i don't know uh it's it's a that's a tough question i'd say that i mean his main slogan is humanity first and that can evoke emotion depending on the person that that reads it or hears it or speaking it mm-hmm. and i think he does convey emotion when he's when he's speaking about his family and there is kind of emotion when when he's engaging in, in self-deprecating humor sure but yeah i don't i don't think it's like a like a holistic uh persuasive package that he's running on currently it's the elizabeth warren-esque wonkishness of you know she has a plan for that i feel like the feelings that yang is trying to go after are a little mix like it's a hodgepodge of a little bit of anxiety about the future in general. In his boat, that's mostly referring to automation and advancing technological progress and the utilitarian argument in that. And also be able to climate change too, because that's catastrophist and that's the looming future we all are bared to. And, it, and it's also a mix of a little bit of appeal to general compassion, like general superficial, uh, I want to help other people compassion in his idea of human-centered capitalism. Now we know that idea is a little bit over earnest, but yeah. stuff there's some sincerity there about wanting to at least improve the quality of life of other people and he's really trying to get at that because a lot of people ask why can't we just improve the quality of life of other people they may not say that but in their mind they're just like why can't we just that's the powerful phrase here and they just want to immediately fix stuff and make stuff uh, make their lives better yeah sort of the driving impulse of yang is that is that impulse to we can make people's lives better it's that same sort of impulse that drives conspiratorial thinking that things can be better than this but not really realizing that we don't have to keep the systems as we currently know them in place that we can do something new instead of having to work with what we already have this is kind of interesting to me because easy like you you kind of share a lot of the sort of questions and concerns we do have as well as a lot of the enthusiasms and yet you've kind of decided that at the moment at least you're banking especially on the promise of this particular candidate even if it's not fully realized yet so i'm kind of curious like what are some positions that you might like yang to take or to kind of consider that would make you really get excited and go Mm -hmm. like all the way in I'd say uh, being for like a higher minimum wage after he implements uh, the universe basic income, uh, that would be number one. Yeah, that's a strong one. Mm -hmm. What's like, you're asking like, what's my dream list of of his policy proposals? Essentially, yeah. Let me think about that for a little bit. You guys can keep talking i mean we 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 can just kind of like uh pitch different like what would you think about rent control because definitely there's an argument against ubi that if you institute it landlords will just raise their rents and everyone will just raise their prices and cost of living will go up to a point where the thousand dollars a month doesn't really interact so would you kind of be in favor of rent control and price controls and other sorts of things to make sure that doesn't happen yeah i'm i'm for rent control 
I think that to an extent, uh, his position on reviewing uh, zoning laws and zoning re- regulations mm-hmm. would, uh, in in part, work to that like effect. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I need to look a little more into that. I definitely think that zoning laws in America need a lot of updating on on both on the level of protecting like residents and consumers, but also on the end of giving uh, people more access to the ability to kind of like start or maintain businesses without it being quite as nightmarish. Yeah, and and it kind of uh, when you when you say Yang talks about reviewing zoning laws, I'm sorry, I am I'm not too well well read into his platform. What does he mean by that? Does he mean kind of rezoning lower density? density for higher density, um, single family to multifamily? Like, what is he talking about there? It is basically about like revising affordable housing in high density areas. Mm-hmm. So zoning laws are, they can definitely move towards a better a better situation with housing, but really induced demand is going to be an issue. What I mean with, with induced demand is that a lot of times when you build housing, people that live in the area don't buy it because the developers reckon, you know, we can import people. People want to move into this neighborhood. A gentrification. Yeah, gentrification. Uh, we can import people into this neighborhood to buy this new housing and try, they'll pay more for it. So why would we rent to the new people instead of preserving the neighborhood and decreasing rents are actually contributing to them by gentrifying it further so yeah and like i talked about in a in a previous episode you know a lot of these issues are really are really kind of holistic and you got to look at it from a, a wider lens mm-hmm. a structuralist lens basically Mm-hmm. I do think to an extent, though, that Yang does that. And that, like, again, that's kind of, like, why he's interested in me some is because, like, again, I think he needs to do more of this as we've kind of been getting at here with this whole sort of rambling yeah. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. tangent we're on right now. But I, I do think that, like, the fact that he's talking about stuff like zoning laws, it might seem to some people like what we talked about in the episode you're referencing, where it might kind of seem like, well, why does he care about this? This seems kind of unimportant. But, you know, it's these little parts of things that actually add up to a bigger hole. And and Yang is seeing uh, the hole better than a lot of the candidates. Yeah, I'd have to say that like, I, I get kind of frustrated with Yang, uh, especially in his debate performances, mm-hmm. when he uh, relates like basically any question he's, he's prompted with to universe basic income. Yeah, he stumps way too much. And if I, if I can kind of cut in here, I, I really don't mean to tread on you too much, but um, I think Yang holisticizes and overgenericizes too much, specifically with UBI. I, I, I don't know if he's walked this back, but I, I remember reading that he was going to, there was a choice between UBI. Uh, and if you took the UBI, you had to not take any other form of welfare. Uh, not, not necessarily. Oh, am I misinformed about that? Well, you don't have to choose when it's social security, like not, uh, not necessarily, uh, social security disability, uh, but social uh, security for like retirees. You don't have to opt in for, uh, for that. Uh, you don't have to opt in for veterans benefits. And there's a third one that I can't remember or, uh, at the moment, but, um, uh, what it is, like, uh, say if you're on like food stamps, if you're receiving like $600 from food stamps and you opt into food stamps, you receive $400 from the universe basic income. So, uh, it's some total $1,000. Hmm. I, I do think a lot of people, including myself, have some concerns about eliminating too much of the safety net in this process. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm definitely getting flashbacks to kind of Clinton, and we're gonna change welfare as we know it. Like, there, there, there's definitely a lot of individual programs that address granular things, like, like food stamps and like a, like a, like Section Eight vouchers and a whole slate of um, various 
safety net programs that like I just don't feel like UBI could cover them all. Like we 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 yeah. spent we've spent years we've spent since the Great Society building up these programs and just to destroy them destroy a lot of them for a thousand dollars a month. I just feel like it just doesn't give me good vibes. I think that UBI could be a great tool in addition to some of these other social services. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. If it was like the this is a really conditional thing, but I could support UBI if it was coupled with rent and price controls and uh, if it was supplementary to existing welfare. Yeah. Yang has said that uh, he is for uh, strengthening uh, other programs when he does implement universal basic income. But again, that that response was lacking kind of substance Mm -hmm. in in kind of details or to that effect. Um, But, you know, look to uh, the current uh, safety net and and how Republicans are diminishing the number of people that qualify for the welfare programs. Mm -hmm. Like it's already being diminished in that regard. And I don't know, like every every single uh, circumstance. Uh, it is pretty shitty to to suggest like like the worst off people would would have to pick and choose. But from mm-hmm. what I've read, in terms of like food stamps, it would be like in in some people's situations like an ideal situation to opt in for the food stamps and get the uh, UBI or just opt into the UBI. It's mm-hmm. it's really kind of on a case by case basis. I think we can agree very easily that there's there's definitely like a crisis going on with a lot of our safety net programs that a lot of them aren't really helping the people that they need to that much or things like that. Mm -hmm. And so to that end, I think Yang coming in with a platform of of revising the safety net is a good thing. I just want to see more critique in it. Yeah. I, I think there's definitely a lot of change to be made in the welfare system. There hasn't oh, yeah. been substantial additions since uh, LBJ, and there hasn't been big revisions since like Clinton. So there, there definitely needs to be revision, but just kind of like, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about sort of um, instinct and gut emotional reaction to politics. And like, I'm, I'm just going to give you my honest reaction. The way Yang's UBI has been proposed seems like a shell game to gut welfare. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to respectfully disagree. It is kind of a, I mean, in, in some lens, it could be considered like a Borg-esque mm. kind of utilitarian principle, but I really don't think that it is intended to gut welfare. Sure, sure. And, you know, like, like I said, this is an emotional reaction, so there's no real debating it. I, I just want yeah. to get that out there. I think that's good. I think we can move on now to... A- uh, we definitely want to talk about just kind of like the world of, of memes and politics in general, some... Mm-hmm. Um, not just mm-hmm. discuss Yang himself the whole time. I, I think he's a he's a very interesting topic. So it's easy yeah. to go on. Oh no, yeah, yeah. A lot of different tangents and and down a lot of different roads. And I think we've discussed a lot of interesting stuff in that regard. But easy. I'm also curious just to talk to you about what you think about the role of memes in politics, especially in this year of our Lord 2019 in general. Mm-hmm. I think it can play a really important role of getting people involved and convey like a complex message in a simple format in only a few words really well. And I think it can really just energize like a base and you can't really control it. It has to do with people themselves getting engaged into an idea or a concept. So obviously, like a lot of people kind of make the joke that memes won Trump the election in 2016. Now, of course, the reality is that he was he was well on his way before the memes really picked up to full steam. And something that I concern myself with a lot is, are these meme communities doing enough to get involved in the actual politics? How do you feel that's been with the Yang community? Do you feel like a lot of the Yang memers are actually out there on the street volunteering or donating or things like that that matter? 
Yeah, I, I, I share your concern. I don't think they are. There's definitely a big contingent of Yang supporters that has like an outrun profile picture with a Yang bitmoji and tweet about securing the bag that don't really do anything. Well, I mean, I've produced a video for the campaign that they themselves have shared, cool. and I just started phone banking yesterday, so I can't nice. can't really talk. So you're you are you are putting the footwork in a little bit, yeah. I may not too much support the candidate, but you know, props to you for getting involved in organizing. Thank you. May it yeah. be a gateway to better th- uh, to more organizing. I mean, before Yang, I was pretty apathetic to politics. I was kind of just like, I'll just vote for Bernie. Like, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's important that, yeah, more people get involved in the actual organizing. And you can say you're not doing that much. But actually, if you did five hours of phone banking for your candidate, you did so much compared to most people. And also just in terms of like the power that even that little bit of volunteering can have, it's, it's, it's a lot more immense than people realize. Yeah, from my experience, I just talked to a bunch of angry old people yesterday. <laughs> yeah, phone banking is is bad because the people that pick up the phone to random numbers are the people you don't want to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> It's because you're calling like primary states and caucus states that kind of get they they go to like these politicians, these people that are supposedly powerful people go to these states and and fawn over and try to make these constituents fawn over them and. Uh, it's 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 kind of like these people in these early states have like a, a higher sense of self-importance because they they expect like there were like at least three callers that I talked to that thought that I was the politician and they, they expected <laughs> to be talking to the politician. It was ridiculous. Wow. This must be why um, Biden's support is so high in the polls is because the, the people that pick up the polls are, are these kinds of people. And name recognition uh, mm-hmm. is, is like 90% of the politics game because people are too lazy to really get into politics or too apathetic to get into politics. Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to share this kind of insight because I think this is important to keep in mind throughout your entire podcast is that like everyone has their own personal like uh, circumstances or their own like experiences that they've gone through. And we're constantly being bombarded by a whole host of various media outlets. And it's, it's really hard to get like an honest picture of what's going on in the world. And like, you have to do a lot of work to stay engaged and, and mm-hmm. informed. Yeah. Yeah. It's real like work just to stay engaged, honestly. Yeah. The activism, burnout is a real thing and it sucks it sucks even more when you you get burnt out by doing things that don't even fucking matter and just getting involved in stupid drama on social media and call out posts and like i hate twitter before you even before you before you've even changed one person's mind, you're already burnt out of politics. Yeah, you were talking about uh, angry old people on the phone earlier, and that and how yeah. they like never be the people who'd vote for Yang, and that's like it makes you think that's the perfect segue for what I was going to talk about, which is exactly who Yang appeals to. And I said I had anecdotal evidence, and I do. I go to school uh, with this other student. He around the time that he started popping up, he immediately latched onto him, and he couldn't shut up about him. He went around class and. He kept asking people like you want an asian man to be president you want a thousand dollars he kept interrogating him about this and i'm like uh, 
and he's been dying down recently, but like he still like the support, the amount of passion he had for Yang as a candidate really surprised me because no other student I saw in that school actually had that amount of fervor really. And he makes me wonder, is this, is he like the type of person that Yang appeals to really young, optimistic, really into weird niche subcultures, a zoomer archetype basically? Yeah. I, I run into a lot of those people on, on the discord. Mm-hmm. fucking wannabe edgelords yeah but I, I i've experienced like a whole host of random political leanings uh that support yang i've yeah my local yang leader uh used to be like an anarchist and one of my close friends in, in my local yang gang is a communist and i've also met people at local yang gang meetings that are very libertarians like it's insane and i i see people online that that say that they're former Bernie supporters, former Trump supporters that that are all into Yang. People that are apathetic, that were apathetic to politics and and didn't really care. And I think that with these candidates like Bernie, Tulsi, Marianne Williamson, Andrew Yang, they're really awakening like people that didn't really care for politics because they're all producing policies that that are easily visualized to tangibly benefit Mm -hmm. a whole host of everyday Americans. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. The examples you offer there for like Yang supporters uh, from white political backgrounds, those are mostly from people already on the left. But what I want to talk about is the thing about Yang is that he somehow manages to appeal to people on the right too, like on the far right too. And I'm wondering like, yeah. and any candidate yeah. who manages to do that warrants introspection. He has a weird following of, and I, I, I want to talk to you about this. He has a weird following of kind of like alt-right white supremacist dudes. Like how I became a moderator on the Yang 2020 Discord was I was just like a relatively mature person mm-hmm. that kind of broke my mind in, in various topics came up. And around the Joe Rogan interview, like March, I remember it, March 5th, we got raided by 4chan and I offered to like sniff out like trolls and and it was it was wild, man. It was, it yeah. was traumatic to deal with those guys. Oh, uh, geez. But no, yeah, uh, I have met like in person, like libertarian Yang supporters and I run across former Trump supporters of, that are now Andrew Yang supporters constantly every day online. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know this is going to kind of be a tough question, but w- w- what do you think about his about Yang's kind of interesting remarks? And this is another kind of plank that makes me eh, about Yang is that he's he's played into into kind of white supremacist talking points before. I think I remember he made a tweet sort of bemoaning the decline of white birth rates before. Yeah, um, that was another time that we we got some fervor from from the right. Basically, I get kind of annoyed. Uh, when people bring this up, because Yang has talked, uh, tweeted about LGBTQ rights and mm. and, and people getting kicked out of the house, and mm. I, I, I wasn't I wasn't trying to imply that he was, you know, no, no, yeah. I, I was just saying that, you know, why are you using these talking points? What are you trying to advance? Well, in his book, he talks about people's economic despair reaches into their their personal lives, and and when you you don't have any economic mobility or kind of advancement in in our current society, you kind of reach to accomplishments that aren't really your accomplishments. You cling to white supremacy. Hmm. You cling to casting out the other and scapegoating other people or other groups of people. And he talks about being fearful of the backlash of rural America, the normal American who only has two years of, of college who is lower middle class he, he he talks about these people being 
being not content with where they see the world, the the United States going, and kind of mm. lashing out towards other people. That's what he's talking about. I think the context of what he was that text or that that tweet was 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 kind of lost. So he was ta- he was talking about white white birth rates to illustrate a point about white people uh, being into conspiratorial thinking and othering people. Yeah. Absolutely. He was talking about white birth rates to make fun of people talking about white. Not, not making fun of them, no. Kind of empathizing with them and, and realizing that they will inevitably lash out. This is what we were talking. I mean, Leia, you yourself kind of brought up earlier that, you know, people who get into these kind of emotional places with conspiracy, you can't bring them out by showing them the facts. And so with it in mind, like, I I actually think I understand this a little better now after hearing this explanation, because with that in mind, like, I can kind of see, even if it was a misstep overall, why Yang in the moment might think that reaching out to these people on that kind of emotional level makes some sense, especially since, Mm -hmm. like, a lot of semi-conservatives are somewhat attracted to him in this weird way. And, Mm -hmm. like, it it is, like, a, a large enough part of his fan base that he needs to kind of acknowledge it. So trying to speak to their emotional anxieties is, you know, he's trying to reach Mm. out. Maybe he didn't do it so well. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't very tactful. For context, I just I just want to I found the tweet and I just want to read it out. Deaths now outnumber births among white people in more than half the states in this country. Much of this is low birth rates and white men dying from substance abuse and suicide. Our life expectancy has declined for two years. We need to do much more. When he's saying our, he's saying America as a whole. Yeah. Mm. Again, like, yeah, now now that you've sort of explained it, I kind of understand a little bit more. And still, I, I'm not accusing him of being a white supremacist or white, white supremacist adjacent. It just kind of evokes, you know, bad vibes. It's, it's more that he just he has some fans that are in that camp. And so, you know. Yeah, I think Richard Spencer uh, said he supported him after that tweet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I just like, I, I don't know if you have, if you have people like that in your fan base, I, I don't know that you want to play to them. I don't know yeah. that you want people like that in your fan base. I, I agree. You shouldn't play to them. And I don't think he has played to them since then. I think he's kind of learned his lesson. Hmm. I want to see him going forward, like denounce more of those people. Yeah. Yeah. An- another um, kind of thing to jump on to what I was saying earlier with like what really drew me to Yang when I was talking about Bernie and, and Trump and, and their commonalities and, and their uh, persuasive messaging. Like also like think about what was the most contentious vitriolic argument in the 2016 election. It was it was over immigration. Right. And mm-hmm. I love that that Yang is flipping the discussion on its head that mm. it's not immigrants that are causing this economic anxiety. It is automation. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's a great turn to make because you're not getting the whole thing. You don't really have to be holistic with this, but just being holistic with it is a bad way to uh, kind of transfer it or like let people transfer into a change of mind. But yeah, what he's doing is like trying to point at something else, which is definitely a cause of this economic anxiety. And that's automation uh, because that's actually taking away jobs unlike immigrants so yeah he's definitely steering people in the right direction or at least trying to change minds so that people can be less vitriolic and violent towards immigrant populations which is a good step overall any rationale 
I, th- I think we should kind of move towards ending this, but just kind of t- had talking with you has really, it's, it's been an interesting and enlightening conversation on Yang. And my kind of final take moving away from this is that he has some good ideas, but they're kind of garbled and delivered badly. And there's too much built around and built near the good ideas Yang has for me to support him. Yeah. And he just has bad vibes written all over him. And call me emotional, call me gut instinct, but yeah, I just get bad vibes. No worries. I think that that speaks to my earlier point about people kind of having their own kind of media lane and kind of having their own personal inclinations towards certain media Yeah. and kind of getting a narrative that, that they want, perhaps. True. The way I see it, people see like a 2D perspective of issues and, and people in the media that they don't really focus on. It's kind of in their periphery. And what I found really interesting was how Marianne is is kind of dealing with this 2D perception of her, similarly to Andrew Yang's 2D caricature of him. And it, it really has to do with, with people's desire to dig into this kind of random news topic that pops up in their feed. Like you really only get into these media outlets that you kind of have a connection to. And and as you, you guys like progress in this podcast game, you're going to find it really difficult to like get listeners and, and keep listeners because there's so much mm-hmm. noise going on in, in this current ecosystem that that is the podcast game. And the podcast game is, is just half of it. There's social media, there's, mm-hmm. there's search engines, there's digital displays, there's streaming services, there's cable news, there's radio, traditional radio. It's there's a lot of a lot of noise and, and people don't really get to really dig in and, and understand the sensationalized 24-7 news cycle that, that we live in. Yeah, it's kind of going back to my opinion that people always thought that like the internet would always just liberate us in the terms of academia and knowledge, but really it just makes things harder because it <laughs> has such a huge layer of confusion that you need to purposely with determination like uh, sort through to get what you want to learn. I think yeah. that's a good take. Yeah, I think that the internet does provide a lot of, I, I think personally it does provide a lot more information that people are more informed overall, but that there's also a lot of confusion that goes with that because there's so many sources of information you have to decide what sources are valuable to you what sources can you trust what sources do you want to kind of devote your time or energy or resources and it's complicated and we can only hope that people will continue to think that this podcast is worth that (laughs) hopefully does anyone else want to give their thoughts on yang uh after this conversation yeah, Dre, why don't you give us a take? My takeaway from this is that I think Yang is going to be another influencer in the Democratic Party, similar to uh, Marianne, and that they probably won't get elected, but their ideas will go far and permeate throughout the Democratic base and allow for more uh, left-weaning ideas to take place, because mm-hmm. that's actually what we need now. Yeah, I feel like the good ideas Yang has are going to speak louder than the uh, mm-hmm. messy ones he has. I feel yeah. like those are going to make a lasting imprint. To be optimistic, Hopefully. Yeah. I, I hope the good ideas yeah. permeate more than the bad clouding it. Yeah, and I hope more people take up inspiration from him. More people have like this tech-focused lean. More people have this emphasis on the importance technology will have in the coming future and how it will make its place in politics like it's always had. And I really just hope we have more people who take that presentation style like Yang. I hope he influences kind of this discussion like we should have a department of the attention economy. Like digital marketing is kind of run amok and Facebook, the largest digital media company in the world, 
has a serious and and rightfully so like awful branding or PR issue right now. Like mm-hmm. People don't trust it. There should be a, a department of technological assessment. It's it's similar to to Marianne's uh, in, insistence that we need a, a department of peace. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a hot, it's a blind side of our current government system. Like our leaders need to be thinking about mm-hmm. these things. Our leaders mm-hmm. need to be be focused on peace. And the leaders need to be focused on advancing our society as a whole. Yeah, because all the people we have in power are very tech illiterate, <laughs> very tech illiterate. Uh, so, Kenny, what are your thoughts on Yang after this talk? Yeah, I think Yang is still very interesting to me, and that I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of agree with Dre that I hope that he becomes an influencer to some extent and that his his good ideas speak loud i think it's great easy that yang got you involved in Mm -hmm. politics more heavily than you had been previously and i hope he continues to do that for a lot of people because i see a lot of that and that's part of why i wanted to have you here Mm -hmm. you know is just because I, i i think that there are a lot of people like yourself that are getting motivated that are saying i want to put some of my personal time into learning about politics getting involved in politics and all this stuff and if yang can do that to people then he has to score some points in my book (laughs) Mm. um I also think that the kind of outsider coalition that's forming with Yang fans and Marianne fans and Tulsi fans and Bernie fans and, you know, et cetera, kind of like, I think, I think that's important. I think that we need to keep building this alliance that even if we don't agree on every point, if some of us kind of look at things one way or another, that overall there's this progressive energy of change that we need to keep unifying around. And Yang's a part of that. He's making it happen. Yeah, we need to we need to think of America as a whole, and we need to. I, I loved uh, Marianne's interview with with Russell Brand. I think we very much need to stop thinking individualistic goals, and we need to think of more communal uh, aspirations and advancement. Mm-hmm. Easy, you've been a wonderful guest to have on. I hope you've had a good time. We've certainly had a good time. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you guys more, even off the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought you had a lot of really interesting, good things to say, and that you kind of helped answer a lot of questions that I had and that we had. And yeah, it was great. Yeah. We have been not safe for wonks. Leia Rose. I'm Kennedy. My name's Drake. See ya. Peace.